let me um, just give a personal word before I just kind of paint the introduction of where we're going today. Um, in the first service, we we took an opportunity to do something we thought was going to work out in the second service, but but uh, Mr. Tolson had to uh, had their their Bible fellowship had a lunch thing, but uh, I, I jokingly kid around with the kids here that my birthday was yesterday. It actually was yesterday, but. Uh, 58, and uh, I always think about, many of you know my story, that my, when I was 16 months old, my dad died. And so I've always kind of gone through life wondering what uh, what my dad would have looked like as we get into those things. Actually, uh, if my dad were alive, his birthday would have been this past week, the first day of spring, and and, uh, and so he would have been uh, 89. So when you do the math there, uh, he's 31 when I was born, he'd be 89, and so I always kind of think, what what would that uh, look like um, to to see that? Um, and uh, Mr. Tolson, who uh, if you ever come to the 8:30 service, Mr. Tolson, man, for 24 years since Central started, has been standing at the door, greeting people, handing the the bulletin, and just with a smile. What an incredible man of God he is. Well, Mr. Tolson's 89, so I, I look at that, and man, I respect Mr. Tolson, honor him greatly. And uh, Mr. Tolson, like happens with many of our earth suits, uh, his knees are starting to wear out, and so he's not going to be able to stand at the door for that length of time to greet anymore. So he is, he is going to, he's stepping aside from that. So we recognized him in the first service and just blessed him with a gift for, for incredible service like that. But uh, if you know Bill and Doxy, uh, the Tolsons, man, just, just bless them. They are incredible people. 89 years old, stood at that door for 24 years, ever since Central began, just to greet people and love on them in the Lord. And I said this in the first service, that, that uh, uh, Mr. Tolson would never sing a song, never teach a class, but I guarantee you, God used his giftings right at that door, and he still does. It's not like he's retiring from life, but, but uh, man, we just honored him and blessed him. And so, if you know Mr. Tolson, I just encourage you to to speak a word, and and uh, I always ask this question. I ask it in the first service. I said, when somebody steps aside, for whatever reason, uh, who's going to fill that spot? And I always ask that question because God has somebody to fill that spot. Let me paint a picture for you a little bit. We have been, over the last six weeks, walking on a journey. We're calling it Foundations. And the reason that we have been doing this journey is, is that I've discovered that there are many people, many Christ followers, who have done what they've been instructed to do. They've made a commitment to Christ, just like Ashley. They have been baptized. They have, they have done the things they have been instructed to do. But sometimes there's been a neglect of really what do they believe. And so when the, when the storms of life come, the world, worldview starts hitting on them and they start going through these things, all of a sudden there's some doubt, there's some questioning. What do I really believe? And so it's been very important to me as your pastor to try to go back to these foundations and let's see, okay, According to God's word, these are the things, these are the non-negotiables we need to hang on to. And we talked about who is God. And then after we talked about who is God, we talked about who is man, who are we in, in, in that relationship with God. And then we talked about who is Jesus. And then uh, we, we talked about the kingdom of God. Jesus talked about this kingdom. What does this kingdom look like? And we talked about it, that it's here, but it's still not yet. And so we talked about the kingdom. Last week, we talked about who is the Holy Spirit. And then uh, today we are talking about what is the church? What is the church? And so if you'll allow me just to kind of um, uh, talk to you a little bit about what is the church or who is the church. 
And let's, let's take a look at this together. I am one of those guys that grew up going to church. My, my grandfather was a patriarch. I happened to come from a Christian lineage. He made sure that there was going to church. My dad, my mom, you're going to church. Church was just, I learned how to sin at church, man. I, I just was at church all the time. And, and some of you will remember, remember this old thing, right? Say, here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door. Here are the people. Well, when you're, when you grow up in church, you gotta kinda think of different ways to do things. So it was like this for us. It was, here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door. Where are the people? Across the street is Ojo's Bar. That's where the people are. Now, that was, uh, when you grow up in church, man, you gotta, like I say, sometimes you learn to sin at church, but that was just kind of the way it was for us. But I want you to know something. I love the bride of Christ. I love Christ's bride. I love the church. I love the diversity. I love the personalities. I love, I love all the different spectrums. I have had the privilege of worshiping in, uh, worshiping in this facility, obviously, with you for, for uh, 20 years. Isn't that crazy? But, but I've worshiped in dirt floors in Costa Rica. I've worshiped in churches in Romania where the men sat on one side and the women with head coverings on the other side. I have worshiped in big cathedrals that have organs that you feel more than you hear and, and people worshiping. I've worshiped in liturgical churches that everything was kind of mapped out during the service and it was stand up or sit down or whatever it may be. I have worshiped outside, uh, uh, in, in, just under God's beauty. I have worshiped outside under rainstorms. I have worshiped uh, with people in, in houses, under carports. I've had the privilege of worshiping in, in huge contemporary facilities with the most polished worship you could conceivably have. And I've worshiped in that. I've worshiped in the most traditional looking facilities that you could ever have. And, and I've worshiped in there. I have, I, I have, I have not done this, but I know of people that have, that have been in countries where Christianity is forbidden and people have gathered in homes to worship the Lord. I have had the privilege. I could just go on and on about places that I've been with other Christ followers to break bread and just to worship. And I want you to know that the key of the whole factor is not the size of the facility. It's not all of these different things. It's not how good the music is. It's not how, uh, how much, it, whether there is any music at all. It wasn't that. It's just that Christ the King was present. And that is what is so incredible. And I've experienced that all over the world. I've experienced it in places you could just never imagine. So the, the thought pattern is this, is that, you know, the church is, is, is just incredible. And sometimes people will ask me this question. They'll say, Mark, how is Central doing? Now, we've lived in this community for 31 years, so I know a lot of people. And so they'll ask, Mark, how is Central doing? And I've and I I got to be just downright honest. That is a difficult question. Because I can tell you this, there are some marriages that are about to fracture, and unless God intervenes, they're going to divorce. And then there's other couples that their home has been uh, renovated, and, and God has just done an incredible work of bringing them together. I've got homes where there are certain teenagers that are in the throes of rebellion, causing all kinds of disarray in the home in, in a prodigal sense, to the point of where there's, peop, there's young people like Ashley who who follow the Lord in baptism and are growing and serving in incredible ways. 
We see that there are people that are saying, you know, unless something changes, this is my last Sunday at Central, to somebody who is at their first Sunday here, that they are saying, oh, God, you're in this place. And so when somebody asks me, how is Central doing, I feel like a schizophrenic person. And you know how I answer? Fine. Because I can't go through that whole diatribe with them that this is the way it is. And, and, and yet that is reality. And that is the church today. That is, that is what we walk in. And so, you know, we ask the question, but I've seen God in so many ways and I just love His bride, the church. But you know, it's interesting that the day we live in that there's, there's many, many struggles. And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 in just a moment if you, if you, want, to, if you want to turn there. But, but the Bible refers to the church as, um, as the body of Christ, as the building of Christ, and it also calls the bride of Christ. And, and I've thought about this because in a, we live in a day where the, the, the forsaking of assembling together has, has, for some is just no big deal. And, and some people will say, you know, I love Jesus, but man, I just don't like the church. I've got hurt in the church or something happened in the church. I just don't care for the church, but I love Jesus. I don't care for the church. It's almost like if you were to say, Mark, Man, I really love you, but I just can't stand Pam. I don't want to have anything to do with Pam. Can you, sound, can you see how offensive that is? But yet we do that to Jesus. Jesus, I love you, but I just don't love your bride. I just don't care for the church. Man, how offensive of that is that to God? So we're going to talk about this thing called the church. And we're going to look at it a little bit today. And I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. And I just want to say it again. I love the bride of Christ. I love the diversity. I love that it's not all like central. I love the relationship I have in this community with so many pastors. I love their congregations and what is going on. Ephesians 5, verse 25, 26, and 27 And many of you are going to say, well, Mark, this has to do with husbands and wives, not so much the church. Oh, it has a lot to do with the church. So look at at verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. Granted, this is talking instructions to husbands, but we can't help but see the comparison of how it is that Jesus loves the church. And so let me kind of unpack this. Hold it open just for a few moments there, and you might want to make some notes in in your margins just to kind of help you a little bit. The word love here is the word agape love, which is the Greek agape. You see, English language does a terrible job with love. We say we love French fries, we love puppies, we love our wives. That just doesn't quite register the same. But yet we use one word. The Greeks had many different words for the word love, but this particular word for love is a sacrificial love. I love you. Get this. I love you regardless of what you can do for me. You see, so much of our our love is selfish. I love that because it's going to gratify me. I love that because it's going to do something for me. God love is I love you regardless. Jesus said this. It says this in John chapter 3, For God so loved the world. He so agape the world. 
See, there was nothing in us other than our rebellion against Him, and yet He chose to love us anyway. And that's what it says here. Husbands, love your wives. But it says just as. In other words, it's already been modeled by Jesus. So Jesus has already been the one who has uh, shown a sacrificial give yourself away, laid his life on the line, paid the price kind of love. And here's why. Look at verse 26. He did this, why? To make her holy. To make her holy. That's the bottom line. But what does it mean to be holy? Uh, that's not a word that, that we seem to understand very much. Most of the time when we think of holy, we think of morally pure, and that, that is part of it. And we talk about the Holy Bible. That means that it's set apart. There's not another one like it. And that's what the word holy means, set apart. And, and, and Jesus has loved the bride, the church, in such a sacrificial way so that he can set her apart from any other entity, any other organism. There's nothing like it in the whole wide world. It has been set apart as morally pure, set apart as holy, set apart, and get this, for a purpose. That's part of what being set apart. He set the church aside for a purpose. Yes, to be morally pure. Yes, to be a light standard in the world. But he set the church aside for a purpose. So the question is, we ask ourselves, what is that purpose? But I, I, I want you to uh, hear this just to, to encapsulate what I just said. The church exists by God's love to give him much glory. That's why, that's why it exists. There's no other. You see, I believe fully that in the church of Jesus Christ, and somebody's going to say, well, Mark, it's, it's not real attractive to the world, or it's not this, or it's not that. Listen, this is what God has birthed through His Holy Spirit to bring earth, to bring earth change, to bring transformation to our world. And I believe strongly in the bride of Christ. But the church exists by God's love to give Him much glory. So, just two major points today. And what is the purpose of the church? Number one is this. God's people gather for community. Part number one of the church is that God's people gather for community. We're, we're, not, we're not called to not gather. We're called to come together. And, and I want you to think of it this way a little bit. Jesus gave us what's called the great commandment. The great commandment says this. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are to have that kind of love, and part of that love is for our neighbors and for one another as we come together in community, and that's what we're called to do. Acts chapter 2, let me, let me read out of Acts chapter 2 for you just a moment. If you want to turn to it, you can. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, after the Holy Spirit has come upon the people, the church is birthed, this is what it says. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled in with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. If the purpose is for community, what does that look like? And I think he gives us four quick things out of this passage in Acts 2.42. The first one is what I'm going to call edification. Let me define what that means, though. Edification means to build up, to grow, 
to not stay where you are, but to be built up like an edifice. You, you grow and you build up. In other words, it's this. It's for people to come to know Christ, and as they come to know Christ, they grow up in their faith. Discipleship, whatever you want to call it. But it, it's, there has to be an element of the church, the bride of Christ, where a person can grow in fulfillment in their walk with Jesus Christ, that they don't stay the way they are. We need instruction. We need guidance. People wonder, Mark, man, you know, why do we have to listen to preaching? Why do we have to listen to teaching? Why do we, you know, why don't we just do something else? Just, just this, these kind of things. It's because we're wanting to take God's word, bring instruction so that you can grow into the image of Jesus Christ. So number one is edification. Number two is this, fellowship. It says not only do they meet together for the apostles' instructions, but they met together for fellowship. Now, this fellowship is not cookies and punch. It's not uh, you're getting together and we're just going to sit around a table and, and drink some cookies and eat, eat, drink cookies, drink some punch, eat some cookies. That's not what we're going to do. It's a time actually quantity. It's a time of actually intermingling our lives together that we do life together. In other words, there's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. And there are people that say, yeah, Mark, I, I love Jesus, but, man, I just don't love being a part of the church. I got hurt. I'm just going to go. We're going to podcast. We're going to uh, watch it online. We're going to watch Andy Stanley. We're going to watch Stephen Furtick. We're going to watch uh, old Billy Graham films. This is what we're going to do, and this is going to be our, our form of, of worship. Well, you know, that's great. That's great to help you grow. But where's the fellowship? I doubt Billy Graham's going to show up when you're in the hospital. I doubt that he's going to do your funeral. You need, you need the body of Christ for fellowship. You need to come together. So there's fellowship. Number three is this, exaltation. Exaltation means worship or uplifting Christ. Uh, and, in other words, it says in the Scriptures that they broke bread, and that breaking bread was the Lord's Supper, and there was a, there was a worship element to that. We need to gather for worship. And some of you say, well, Mark, I can worship on my, my commute into work every day, listen to K-Love or, or podcasts or something, and I can go in and do that. Granted, you can do that. But there's something about the coals coming together. In fact, the writer in the book of Hebrews said this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, don't let something take you away from what is priority. And you'll hear me say this over and over and over again. Our gathering on Sunday morning is not about us, but it's to an audience of one. In other words, it's not somebody up here entertaining you and you saying, oh, was that good? Was it not good? I'm just don't, not sure about that. They were a little off. That was something off. It was a little loud here, not too loud here. It's not about a spectator. It's about God himself. He is the only spectator. We are not to sit here and just think it's all about us. It's about how can we bring honor and worship unto you, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he is in our midst. I remember the story of the, of the, of the family that came to church. And, and uh, after church, they went to lunch. They're sitting around the table and they're talking. And like so often happens, I know it doesn't happen here at Central, but, but it happens other places. They started criticizing the morning. And, uh, you know... Uh, dad said, well, that sermon was a little long. Mom said, man, that music was a little loud. And sister, who was a teenager, said, yeah, those teenagers, they're all cliquish. And 
Then the little boy said, yeah, but it wasn't a bad show for a nickel. And I think that uh, we got to be careful about, about how we approach things. We think it's about us when it's actually about an audience of one. And I can't say that enough about exalting Christ. So edification, fellowship, exaltation, the, the oneness that comes from exalting Christ together. You know, we've got the Good Friday service coming up here in, in April. And, uh, you know, sometimes wonder, oh, man, are we just trying to go for big numbers? I think it's incredible when about 15 to 20 churches in the community are able to come together with their people and we just exalt Christ together. See, that answers the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17, that we come as one before him. And so exaltation is huge. Last one is this. It's prayer. Uh, and it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And prayer shows our dependence upon him. Charles Spurgeon, who he called his prayer room the powerhouse of the church, he said this. He said, if the engine room is out of action then the whole meal will grind to a halt. We cannot expect blessing if we do not ask. Folks, I've got to be honest with you. I, I think this one we, we fall short on. I'm not talking about just central. I think the whole body of Christ. And, and for some reason, we, we have become... And, and I've, you remember Jesus taught us how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he says this. Give us this day our daily bread. That just falls on deaf ears. When was the last time you were actually hungry? I, I mean, not by choice. And, 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 and yet, he asked us to come and ask for the daily provision. And I think we just, we just get lost in the whole thing. And we even do that spiritually. We just think, oh God, we're just going to go through the motions. We really don't need to pray. And you know, I think when we do what man can do, we get what man can do. When we ask what God can do, we get what God can do. And so... There is this calling of prayer. And I would encourage you, anytime you have a small group, anytime your Bible fellowship gets together, anytime you're with some other Christ followers, use it as an opportunity to pray. Because this is what builds the church, and this is the purpose of what we're called to do. Many years ago in Europe, there was a cathedral that was built, and it was called the House of Many Lamps. And what the builder did is as he built this, he built the cathedral with no lighting inside of it at all. And, and the, all the benches and the pews had a little place in there, and it was when everybody came, they would put their lamp in there, and the attendance of the people would bring the light to the cathedral. But what would happen is, is that when some were missing, you would see it start to grow dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. You and I both know, we look around this room, there are people that used to be in here actively worshiping the Lord. Sad to say, we're not sure where they're at. We don't know what's happened. And some of you may be in here and you're thinking, well, I'm, I think I'm ready to dismiss. It's just not hitting me. Or somebody is saying, this is great. What, what I'm saying is, is that we need to be together. Are we always going to be agreement? Man, we're family. I love paying the death, but there's times we, we have to work through things. What I'm saying is, is that we have to come together, and that's what it says. So purpose number one is we come together for community. Number two is this. God's people scatter for a cause. We scatter for a cause. We come together for community, but we scatter for a cause. We were never meant to come and live in a holy huddle. We were called to break huddle to go into the world. Jesus gave us this in the Great Commission. He said, all authority has been given unto me. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and, lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. This is the purpose. We, have, we come together as the great commandment. We go out as the great commission. We go out to serve. We go out to our neighborhoods. We go out to our, our workplaces. We go out to our schools, and we say, God, use me because you have a cause that's greater and beyond me, and use me for your glory. Here, I wrote this thought down. We are to live life among others so that they might see the love of God demonstrate it and hear the message of life change and forgiveness. Let me read that one more time. We are to live life among others so that they might see the love of God demonstrated and hear the message of life change and forgiveness. What else? What other organism? What other organization is called to do that? The church. This is what Christ established. And somebody can say, well, we're not doing it, or this is, why, why are we not? I mean, come on. If he's given us the great commandment and the great commission, let's, let's see how we can focus. Let's move in that. There's going to be times when we're doing better than other times. But this is what we're called to do. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul said this, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. An ambassador is someone who represents another country in a foreign country. One of our ambassadors was asked one time about being an ambassador, and I want to read to you what his response was. He said this. He says, You have invited me to tell you about the duties of an ambassador. Let me begin by telling you first of the embassy, the place where we live. The embassy is a little spot of America set down in an alien land. On the walls, we have pictures of George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Robert E. Lee, Stonewall Jackson, and the President of the United States with a big flag, old glory, high over everything. When we had prohibition in the United States, we had prohibition in the embassy. Inside the embassy, the laws of our own country are supreme. We celebrate Christmas, Thanksgiving, the 4th of July. Outside, it's different. We celebrate none of these. Let me repeat, the embassy is a little spot of America in an alien land. And that's what the church is. The church is people, the called out ones, coming together with a little bit of heaven here, but we are called to not stay in the fort, but to go out. Two thoughts as I wrap this up today. In other words, I, could talk, I love the bride of Christ. I could talk about her all day long. And, and, and one thing that I've learned because of my relationships with the other pastors who are some of my best friends, I, they've, they've even noticed it in my vocabulary. I don't use the word church much anymore unless I'm talking about the big C church. Because I tell them all the time, there's one church in Round Rock, just different, different expressions. Now, hear me. We have certain non-negotiables. It is the Word of God. It's, it's faith in Christ alone that brings salvation. But we may talk... We may differ a little bit on baptism or how they do the Lord's Supper or women in ministry or whatever it may be. But those non-negotiables of the faith, we are strong in. And, and this is what I, I use the word congregation all the time. Now, it may seem like apples and oranges and how we discuss that. But, but for me, there's one church in Round Rock. We are, we are but one cell. Central is but one part of that congregation of the bigger, big C church of what he is doing here. And I, that's what I want to be a part of. I don't want to think we got it all here. 
I want to believe that we can't do it all here. We need all the other congregations in town coming together. But let me share with you just in closing. I was Many of you have a read through the Bible in a year plan. If, if not, I encourage you to have some kind of plan. Go to Version. We have a version here that we use at Central that I've been using for probably 20 plus years. And, and the way it works, you know, if you read 20 minutes a day, some out of the old and some out of the new, you'll finish the Bible in a year. And so for me, that's just part of my plan that I do on a daily basis. And if you're going through the churches right now, we're in the book of Joshua. Uh, reading some in Joshua and then some in Luke in the, in the New Testament. But in Joshua, and I love Joshua, man. Uh, you know, for you that know church background, I don't want to bore the rest of you, but I want you to hear background a little bit. Moses has died. They're on the verge of going into the promised land. So here's Joshua. He's now the deliverer. He's the leader. They step out into the Jordan River. The water goes, and they go walking across on dry land. And when they get on the other side, they take these stones out of the out of the river and they build this memorial it's really cool and then and then you may remember they go to a place called gilgal and and they they're at gilgal and when they're at gilgal this isn't real pleasant but all they haven't circumcised guys in 40 years so now they got to catch up on that the lord says i want you clean i want you to to do this and so they do that in gilgal they put the memorial stones they worship god in gilgal and then out of gilgal they go and they work over jericho and then they have a hiccup with AI. I'm not going to go into all the story. Then they have to go defeat AI. And then they come back to Gilgal. And then they go out and they... they and it would be a great, great war movie uh, um, to, to have. And so um, they, would, they would wipe out some here. They would come back to Gilgal. They would wipe out some here. They would come back to Gilgal. They would wipe out some here. They'd come back to Gilgal because Gilgal was their camp. Gilgal was their place of worship. Gilgal was their place of consecration. Gilgal was their place where they got strength together before they went back out. And I've read that over and over again, and I'm thinking, why didn't I not understand that? Because Gilgal is an incredible picture of the church. We were never meant to stay in the church. We were meant to go out into the world and make a light and light and salt difference out into the world. We weren't called, but we need to come back to our Gilgal. We need to come back to church. We need to come back and be strengthened. I'm sure they were wounded out there in the world. They needed to come back and be healed up. They needed to come back and worship. They needed to come back and get supplies. They needed to come back and get what they get. You see, that's the church. And then we go back into our workplace. We go back into our schools. We go back into our neighborhoods. And we make a difference for Christ. Not by force, but by love. By the love of Christ is what we're called to do. That's what the church is. I've told you I love the bride of Christ. Not just because they pay my salary and it's my career. I mean, I love being apart with people. You see, it's not a building. It's not a building. It is the people of God. And so I love the bride of Christ. You know, if I go away on a trip and I'm gone for a week, when I come back, there's something I am looking for. I am not. I love you, but I'm not looking for you. I'm not looking for my dog. I, I, I'm not even looking for my kids or my grandkids. What I'm looking for is I'm looking for my wife. And uh, if I find my wife, if I find Pam, and if she were to say, man, I didn't know you were gone, or I didn't know you were coming back today, man, I didn't know that was today. Think how crushing that would be. Now, that's not the case with us, but, but 
Because there is a, there's a desire, me being gone and coming back, her desire is the loneliness to see me. And it's the same way if she's gone. But, but, but the reason I want you to see that is, is that Jesus Christ is returning for his bride, the church. He's not returning for some organization out there. He's not returning for some entity. He is returning for his bride, the church. I do not want the church of Jesus Christ to say, oh, I didn't know you were coming back. Oh, can't you come back later? I want his bride to be holy and blameless and spotless, without wrinkle, exalting him, lifting up his name, committed to building up other people called edification, knowing that we need fellowship with one another, that we're going to exalt the name of Jesus and that we're going to pray and that we are going to split the huddle and we're going to go out and make a difference in our world. I want to ask Brett and the team to come up, but here's what I want to ask you of you. If you'll just stand with me just a moment. Just stand. Everybody stand. Kind of shake the cobwebs out. And here's what I want you to do. I want you, if you would, just to circle up with two or three people right where you're at. And you're going to pray. Now, some of you are thinking, Mark, I'm too shy. I can't pray out loud. That's okay. Somebody else will be more outgoing. We'll pray with you. Just go ahead and circle up right quick. Two or three people. And you're going to pray. And here's what I want you to do. You can just circle up. And I want you to start praying for the church. I want you to start by praying for the, for the body of Central. God uses for your glory. Just go ahead and start because I'm going to keep talking. Just start praying for the body of Central. God, forgive us for not being who you called us to be. But Lord, have your way with us. And just begin to pray for the body of Central. Pray over uh, our leadership. Pray over uh, our elders. Pray pray for uh, God just to create a revival among us, a, a sweet aroma unto Him as we worship Him. And then as you continue to pray, just kind of extend on out. Pray for the Big C Church of Round Rock. Pray for the community here that God would just move in our community and that the church would be one as Jesus prayed for us to be. We would be that one church, one congregation for His glory. And then pray for the bride as a whole across the world that Christ was going to one day return for. Just pray for the bride of Christ to be spotless, without wrinkle, holy, blameless. And just pray for the church.